My man. So do you like Danny or Dan Grigsby? So, so that's a funny story. So my name, my full name is Curtis Daniel Grigsby Jr. But I go by Danny because I was named after my father and he did the same thing growing up. But I did, I switched it to Dan underscore Griggs because it was more catchier, right? And you see, it's not that I give a shit about cloud or anything, but like, I just thought it'd be easier. It used to be Danny Griggs underscore three way back when. And then, I don't know, Dan underscore Griggs is just, it's more catchy, it's easier to remember. So I yeah. just switched it to that. But I, I don't mind Dan, Daniel, you know. You, hey, man, you ain't got to tell me. I changed my name from Ryan Lapidat to Six Pack Lapidat because it flows off. <laughs> Whatever flows easier, man. Yeah, you got to. Easier to remember. Oh, yeah. When you have, if you have a son, are you going to call him Danny so he's the third? Yeah, it's very enticing. I mean, <laughs> part, of me, I part of me wants to give him some extravagant name, but it's, it's, it sound cool to be see the Curtis third? Daniel Grigsby the third. Yeah, Dude, that would be if, dope. If he has a son and it's the fourth, hold, what do we fuck it? It sounds like a royalty. Like that yeah. would be the coolest shit. You're like, for me, it's yeah. too late. It's too late, man. I can't start this now because by the time the fourth comes around, I'm dead. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I don't get to like, I don't get to soak it in. But if somebody's walking around, Daniel Grigsby the fourth. It sounds like oh, fucking in the monarchy, man. It's like yeah, yeah, that'd be out of <laughs> right? out of England or something. Exactly, yeah, that'd be, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah, uh, I, you were you were just saying about how you 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 got some plans for the weekend. Yeah, so I'm gonna deadlift tomorrow at the shop, the shop gym in Manassas, Virginia, and uh, he doesn't know it yet because we didn't tell him. But we're gonna go train with Aston. I'm gonna. He always trains. He comes to the gym at like ten. I like to tend to go a little later, like 12, one-ish. Because I'm yeah. – well, he's military too. He's – you probably know he's Army. Right. And he's, he's getting his PhD to become an Army psychologist. It's just like – it's mind-blowing, his body of work. He's been in school, you know, probably the last six, seven years, something like that. But he's like – he's obviously smart. I mean, the, guy, the way he trains and stuff, but he's smart, smart. Like, he's all-around smart. Yeah. But he, he does – he's going to do an SBD. And I, he's pretty early in his prep. And he told me the other week he's just, he's just building. Like, it's not – it's not always going to be a highlight reel, you know? It, right. Well, not every you know what? Gonna, yeah. Ashton kind of is always a highlight reel, though. He says even, that, but I yeah. don't know. No, even, even when he doesn't even push it, it's still like he's doing things that most people will never do. And it's just like, because I've witnessed, you know, I, I met him the first time when I moved to Virginia about a year and a half, almost two years ago. I still remember the first time. And every time after, it hasn't wore off. Like, every time I see him lift, it just ceases to amaze me. Like you never get, you get used to it, but at the same time, you just put it in perspective. And he's like, wait, he's, well, now he's bulked up. He's like 230, maybe 235. Yeah. But he's like, his SPD days are insane. He's, yeah. he's a, they're he's legendary, man. There is SPD yeah. days are like legendary at this point. It's crazy. He's, um, I didn't know that. I knew he's in the military. I didn't know he's actually going for psychology. So would he be helping military veterans who have seen war and like need some help or? So the way he explained it now, I, I don't know extensively what he's going to do, but he's going to stay, he's going to stay active duty and possibly be a part of a special forces unit. Cause army, they have the Rangers, the Rangers and the, yeah, he still has to finish school, but he wants to work for a special forces unit and be a psychologist there. So he'd still be active duty, hmm. but I mean, he could potentially help veterans. That's always an avenue he can take, Yeah, but I think he's going to stay, at first, initially, he's going to work with active duty army or military personnel, which is just crazy because that's such a cool. You're, you're yeah. helping a lot of people, and obviously, like 
psychology has always really fascinated me, you know, because I, I did college briefly and I took a, one or two psychology classes and it was always one of the few things I actually wanted to pay attention to, you know, didn't have to force myself to glue into it. Absolutely. I, I'm actually booking um, a sports psychologist on the podcast. She works with um, Team Great Britain, and uh, but she's worked with like a bunch of athletes, so it pertains. But I love like, like there it, it gets no crazier than obviously, you know, you guys in the military going out to war. So like that's a whole nother level of what psychology, you know, what you have to get yourself ready for. Um, but what the human mind is capable of, man. It's, we don't know. Like, like I'm sure yeah. you probably get a taste though with military, you hear stories of what, how far they will push you to realize like, like lack of sleep, lack of whatever, you know, just how far they could push you to be like, you have no idea what you're capable of when pushed, you know? So you're ever so ready. Yeah, it's definitely, I've been in the Marines coming up on seven years now. And it's definitely, I would say it's played a part into like my resiliency and just my mental toughness because Lifting weights is still, you know, kind of hard, but like, especially the last, last year and a half, I've been, I'm in Washington. I currently reside in Washington, DC, and I'm with the world famous body bearers in the Marine Corps. We're the funeral detail. We, uh, we do the casket and cremation funerals for past Marines who die and they go to, you have the choice when you die, you can, you can set up to be buried. If you rate it, there's certain qualifications, but be buried at the Arlington. It's the national military, uh, cemetery and the training. It was nine months, and the training I did for that, because we were doing pull-ups and curls, so many pull-ups and curls, and we would get 45s and carry them for, like, we were in a parking garage, but it would, down and back in the parking garage would be, like, 150, 200 yards. So a lot of the stuff I did there, when I started, because I didn't really lift, I, I lifted during those nine months, but I wasn't powerful, because I'm not going to squat and deadlift heavy when I have to do that kind of stuff every day. Right. But then when I started doing volume again, working my way back up, it wasn't a big deal anymore because I was doing, you know, sometimes over a hundred pull-ups a day. I do like an insane amount of, bi we would do, we do bicep curls with a 35 on each side with a barbell and you just, we get so good at them and we just churn them out. We would do like plate raises, plate holds, uh, anything you could think of with a plate or a bar we did to help yeah. prepare us for the rigors of, a, of being at Arlington. Cause a lot of caskets, they can get up to 800 pounds and we carry it. There's six guys on a team. And we carry it at shoulder level, the casket. So if you're not, it's not just about being big enough, but having the dexterity and the mobility because your last got to open up. We think about it's kind of like when you open up your lap and you do a pull down, it's kind of like that. So there's a lot that goes into carrying a casket. Mm. I mean, I was the biggest guy on the team and I'm still not the best carrier because it's there's technique just like with anything. I mean, the best deadlifters have technique. The best benchers have great technique. I mean, you have those guys who are really raw at something. But you can't get to a high level, in my opinion, or you'll get injured before you get to a high level if you don't have legitimate, solid technique, you know. Did you always want to – so you're a Marine. Did you always want to join the Marines or the military in general? Like, how did that, that come about? Yeah, so all throughout high school, I mean, it never really crossed my mind because I don't come from a very, you know, military-oriented family. The only person who served in my immediate family was my grandpa. And he got drafted in Korea. So it wasn't voluntary. So, yeah. you know, like I, I joined when I was right for my 21st birthday. And it was kind of because I was at a point in my life, a crossroads where I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was going to go the trade route, be like a plumber or electrician. And then I said, oh, I could do that in the Marines. And my mom was not about it at first. She, <laughs> she was like, she was like, you need to figure your life out. I'm like, okay. 
you know, after a few weeks, I'm like, okay, I'm going to join the Marines. And yeah, she was, but she, she changed her mind once I got through boot camp. It's like, cause you, you see all these movies, right? They don't help the cause. Dude. Uh, like, dude, you want, this is what I was thinking when you were talking about like boot camp, the Marines, it looks like fucking like, like nothing you'd ever seen, man. It looks absolutely terrible to try to get through. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely, uh, you do a lot of running. Sometimes we did PTs. It was actually kind of fun doing PTs with logs. We would just like, we would carry them and then do like, you know, anything you could think of with a log and uh, pull-ups. It's just about getting you uncomfortable because, you know, everyone, we come from different backgrounds and you go to boot camp and everybody gets their head shaven. You all become universal. You all wear the same clothes. So everything is just teaching you, hey, you know, it doesn't matter what you were before. Now you're all, you're all one and you're all going to act and do things a certain way. So it was definitely the hardest part because I'm from Oregon originally. And I went to, in boot camp, how it works is if you're considered, they split the U.S. in half. West Coast goes to San Diego, MCRD. And the East Coast goes to um, Paris Island, South Carolina. So in San Diego, it was nice. I mean, the weather was not, it wasn't horrible. I I definitely didn't want to go to South Carolina. But, you know, missing home. But then it's kind of, it's crazy. It's been seven years since I lived in Oregon. And it's just flown by. It's just like anything else. Like you start getting in a groove and you have shit going on in your life. And then time, I mean, it just seems like yesterday was 2015 and I was getting ready to enlist. And at that time I had started powerlifting a year, year and a half before I joined the Marines. So it probably was like when I joined the Marines, I honestly thought I might've never powerlift again. Cause like everyone else, I was like, Oh, I'm going to Afghanistan. I'm probably going to go to war. I, I didn't want to, but I was just, I was, accepting that it's a possibility right because right. like i said you see all the movies everyone's gonna get shipped off somewhere right but we're at peacetime and things are kind of different right now luckily so it didn't it didn't end up being that way you know i for my first four years i was at camp pendleton which is in oceanside california it's about 40 minutes north of san diego and then i went on a deployment in 2018 in australia that was cool yeah. i'd rather like like six months in Australia was pretty, that, that was fun. That ain't Never. bad, man. Hey, look, that's yeah. not like, like your grandfather in Korea. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Australia is peaceful. Yeah. It's like, it's not a, it's not a wartime deployment, but it's still right. a chance to go to another country. And you know, it was very, Australians are very laid back. I mean, compared to our military, the Australian, uh, I think they're called the Australian defense force. Their, their army. Yeah. It was just like, we would try to, our Marine command, you know, our people in charge, they, okay, we're waking up at five, six in the morning. PT, they'd be like, "No, let's try eight or nine o'clock." Like Why? they were just like, are you t- "What the fuck?" They're just you like, you're, you're in, "They're like, you're in our, we're in their country, so it's not like we can make the rules." But yeah, and we did some training. We go to some training areas, and it got really hot in Australia. The humidity, I mean, they get 80, 90 degrees with insane amounts of humidity. So compared yeah. to the U.S., it was hotter than anything I ever experienced. But it was just cool to see different cultures. You know, because it's just like you live in your own bubble. And that's why I want to also travel more in the future. But, you know, you don't realize how different, not, I don't want to say different in a bad way, but like how people live, like everything's different in a different country. And that's cool. It opens up your mind to like, wow, I'm really so small on this earth. You know, like I'm, I'm in America and yeah, it's a big place, but there's so many different places around the world where they do cool things and they do things a different way, have different customs. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool to me experience. 100 percent man i um 
you know, one of the biggest like benefits I get from being the, the commentator at the IPF world championships is the travel around the world for stuff. So I'm like, in like places like, like now it sounds crazy, but like Belarus one year, right. Which now that's not going to happen for a long time, but we ain't yeah. going back there for a while, but uh, yeah. we were in Belarus, but to like, like Sweden and like, I'm going to be in France commentating and like, I haven't been to Asia. I got, I gotta yeah. go to Asia. I've heard point. good things about a lot of countries in Asia. Yeah, man. Like I, I, I got, like, I love history. I got to go to like Japan, Mongolia. Like I got to check out these places, these old civilizations that you, I've read about, but um, you're 100% in terms of like, you realize how small we are, you know, like I'm in Canada, but like North America, so to speak, we have like, yeah. Bat the same basketball, the same hockey, the same baseball, the same music, the same movies and TV as America, right? Like we kind of it's it, when I go to US, it's not like culture shock when I show up. It's the same yeah. old, same old, right? Like yeah. no one can tell, like oh, where are you from? They're just like I'm just a dude there. But when you leave uh, North America and you go to Europe and go to like a, like Germany or France or Italy, dog, it is different. You like you yeah. said, you like realize man, this is their people, like totally different language, completely different histories, completely different, like foods and music and like culture. And you're like, yeah, man, it's a, it's a big place, man. And you meet people and talk to them and you got similarities, but tons of differences, man. Uh, yeah. The, one of the, one of the cool things too, is we were in Darwin, Australia, which is a very Northern city in Australia. And the, there was a lot of like, you know, bars and hostels and stuff. And a lot of people would backpack from Europe. They go from Europe to Australia. And that's a popular uh, backpacking destination. I think it's because of the scenery because where Darwin was, there's a lot of good places to hike and there's like reservoirs and other things from what mm. I remember. So that's what draw and people would backpack all over Australia. But from the, what I was heard, what I was hearing, usually start in North Australia and you work your way down. So mm. I met people like people out in town from France, like, like all parts of Europe. And I'm like, damn, you know. Yeah. why are these all these people from europe coming to australia but it's just a you know backpacking and other reasons bring people bring people to any other country you know the thing with australia man um you hear stories there's like a million things that can kill you in australia i don't know oh, how yeah. true it is. is it really yeah. like they, you hear stories about like I, I, like i'm sure in the cities everything's fine but it's the temperature mm. and the seclusion of it um, it's so isolated that you got some crazy shit that lives over there. And if you leave a city and you get lost in like wilderness or whatever, you're going to come across some shit. That's like from like Narnia or something. You're going to come across. Some yeah. You can only see in a Disney movie. Oh, right? oh yeah. Like I, I'm trying to remember some of the things. Cause when we got there, when we got to the Australian base, they had like, they had this guy come and he talked for like 20, 30 it was a good amount of time, basically about everything to watch out for. And he's like, yeah, but obviously, obviously there's spiders. There's, uh, I mean, obviously along the coast, there's like jellyfish and stuff. That's, I mean, I would never jump in Australian water that you can't pay me <laughs> enough to do that. I wouldn't, you know, sharks, uh, yeah, even sure. like they were saying the dirt, the dirt, at least in North Australia, they said it had like a bacteria in it. Not that I would want to roll around in the dirt in North Australia, but even the dirt could potentially be, harmful to you so that tells you a lot about even like if the dirt is poison it's not poisonous but there's a bacteria where if it gets inside you from rubbing into your bloodstream it can yeah. be fatal so i'm like shit there really is nothing i can feel safe about here but yeah, like nothing ever really happened when i was there luckily like no one ever 
I mean, people would fuck with the wildlife, but they learn pretty quick. Like, you don't. Yeah. It's the one place you don't want to risk that. They have like a Star Wars Sarlacc pit. They're like, yeah, that's real, actually. That was filmed in Australia. Uh, it's it's uh, <laughs> That's legit. Um, but every now and then we lose a tourist to that thing and it just keeps rumbling. <laughs> uh, so wh- when you were, you started powerlifting, like along the times when you were in the Marines, like like stationed around, like how did this happen? How did you end up? lifting weights and then and finding powerlifting and you know how did this come about so uh growing up i did multiple sports i did football basketball baseball and track and field football i did for eight or nine years track and field for seven years baseball and basketball was until i was in sixth seventh grade and then i cut those sports out because i realized three four sports is too much so i <laughs> kind of started to specialize but i did a year of college football and that, Afterwards, I was like, college wasn't for me, and I wasn't going to stick around just for football and getting a, a ton of debt, you know, from college. So I dropped out, and then I was going to this gym, and a few months later, I met this older gentleman by the name of Ken Tootin, and he kind of took me under his wing, and I did a meet, kind of impromptu. There was, there was a meet at our gym in the summer of 2000, 2014, and so I, in my first meet, I squatted, like, 480, 500 in wraps, but it, it wasn't really wraps because, like, I didn't know what wraps were, but I just got to the meeting, like, you got to put wraps on. And they they literally, the guy who wrapped me wrapped it so loose, it started falling off as I was squatting. So I wasn't getting anything out of those wraps. But, uh, yeah, I, ever since, I mean, I did, like, two meets with wraps, but I, I'm strictly sleeves now. I don't, I haven't been able to figure out wraps. And to me, the trend is becoming more of, like, raw with sleeves, you know, like, to me, that's more appealing because it's like you just go out there and you do it. And plus, you don't got to worry about having one to two people wrap your knees, making sure you do it in time. There's just too many factors that would stress me out. So I just stick to sleeves. But then I benched 275 my first meet. And this is at 220. And I deadlifted 600. 600. Conventional. Conventional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then from there, I was like, oh, this is fun. It was kind of like an athletic pursuit. It kind of f- filled the void I had from the other sports, you know, like football and track and field and stuff. So then I started doing it. And right away, deadlift, of course, there was progress. Like, within six months, I went from six to 700, and I was still conventional mm-hmm. at that time. And it was really – when I was pulling in the 600, it was literally all back. Like, I didn't understand how to – I thought deadlift, you know, the bodybuilding, it's just like rolling the weight, and then it lock out, you just sit there. Oh, so wow. once I learned how to – once I learned how to actually use my hamstrings and glutes, I was pulling over 700. And then I joined the Marines. Joined the Marines, and I was at like a 750 deadlift. And this was still this was still uh, conventional. But then eventually I changed from conventional to sumo because I was having back problems. And looking back, it was because I didn't know how to brace, among other things. So it could have been prevented, but I'm glad I tried sumo because I realized very quickly my leverages and, like, my ability – the dexterity and mobility in my groin and hips, it was, it felt pretty good right away. And the less strain on my back, obviously being in a more vertical position. And, uh, you know, first few years in the Marines, it was rough because at my old unit, it was a high tempo, high work environment. So we'd work 12, 14 hours a day. I PT every morning, which would involve, you know, a good amount of running. And I was, uh, I was improving at the time. I was at like 17, 1800 17 to 1800 pound total from like 2016 to 2018 at a, at the time I was 220, but I was like floating. I was around 230. And then it really, I really started to make a move because in Australia, 
I actually got to just train. I didn't have to worry about running as much. So I was training pretty good in Australia. We didn't have a lot going on. So I was able just to focus on the gym more. And then I squatted 700. I benched 360 and deadlifted 800 in Australia. So then I came back from the States late 2018. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do a meet again. And then I competed in March. I came back in October. I competed in March that next year. And I totaled like high 1800s. And I broke 800 pounds in a competition for the first time with 848. And, and literally, I've been lucky ever since because I've been able to manage work a lot better and not run as much just because of the place I've been. And as I grow up and rank, I've had more perks. You know, I don't have to, like, run as much. It's just is what yeah. it is, you know. <laughs> I'm still marine. I'm not saying I don't do anything. But, yeah, yeah I've been able to – because running three – a couple miles a day, you're not – you can improve to a point. But at the level I'm at now, there's no way I could recover and maintain that if I still had to PT very hard. But being in the new work I am in D.C., our main mission is the funerals and the families in Arlington. So we still have to do our physical fitness tests every year. But we, we run and stuff on our own time. You know, I do steady state cardio, but I'm not yeah. sure as I only run miles a day until I have to. Uh, but the last three years is when I've had the huge improvement. Because like I said, I, in 2018, I broke 800 pounds, day 48. And the next year, the next year I, uh, I squatted low sevens, I benched 370, and I deadlifted nine, 948. That was when I broke my first world record, 933 and 948. At the time, the 275 record was like 930, 929 or 930. So at that point, I was like, okay, this – now, I was taking it seriously at that time, but since then I've really been just grinding and just really trying to manage everything because I feel like if I don't get injured, I feel like my limit's pretty up there. Like, my limit could keep improving. Like, there is no stopping me. And that's the hardest thing is when you get at a high level is the recovery. And also, you know, a lot of people have great potential, but they just can't seem to luck out of not getting injured again and again during prep. And I feel like I push the compound movements hard, but my accessories, I don't really go that heavy on accessories. And the way I look at accessories is uh, I use it as, like, kind of, I'm working, I'm working on imbalances, so I do a lot of cable and unilateral with dumbbells. I don't like doing a lot of barbell accessories because I did reverse grip for years, and my lats are very – if you were to see me with my shirt off, my right lat, it opens up more. So when I bench, a lot of times it's hard uh, yes. to stabilize. Yes, man. You, you get that? 100%. 100%. I hate it. I hate I, it. I've told people you know, with the mixed grip for deadlift, eventually you get um, – off like asymmetrical 100 that's gonna have it'll go down into your right hip is what it'll go down into your hip the overhand hip and everything gets tighter the whole way down my man uh yeah i i it sucks because it's gotten better and like i said i do a lot of unilateral work but even to this day it's still because bench it affects me because like i said naturally because my right side opens up more naturally i have to literally force my left side to open up and stabilize and then on squats a lot of time the bar is lopsided on my back because when I like when I pull my back together and then I pull my lats down, my right one opens up more. Yeah. So it's just frustrating, but I work around it and it hasn't really hurt me too much. On deadlift is the one exercise where I can kind of get away with it the most, like not letting it affect me. But yeah, squat and bench is just hit and miss sometimes. Because if that if one of the lats is if my left lat isn't firing, my right one already opens up a lot more. It's kind of like. I'm, yeah. I'm just hoping – I'm hoping to God I don't, like, get too imbalanced. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, some people, like you know, they, they can make reverse grip work. Like, people tell me, 
Oh, if you so normally I'm on the knurling. Oh, your underhand, if you spread it out slightly more, it'll even out. But even then, I still feel like your underhand's gonna subconsciously want to contract more, you know, just because of the way because of it being in a rotated position. And I think hook grip, I mean, I remember in 2000, when I first started powerlifting, people, I did hook grip in high school, you know, with the Olympic list for football. I wasn't doing, I was doing two, 300 pounds. I wasn't doing, obviously, a crazy amount of weight with it. But that was my introduction to hook grip. And then after I realized very quickly that I was developing an imbalance in my back, I did hook, I started doing hook grip for deadlifts. And I honestly feel, I feel it's the better choice if you can do it. Obviously, I mean, if your hands are small, I mean, but I think you and other people said it for, if a Chinese hundred pound weightlifter can do hook grip, like there's yeah. like that in itself, you know, shows that it's, it's possible if you work on it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause in the beginning, no one did hook grip and people used to lose five, six years ago. People were like, Whoa, you do hook grip. That's harder. Cause now people didn't understand how hook grip works. I mean, I feel like you, if you can get down hook grip and you get over your thumbs, over time, the nerves in your thumb just get used to the constant, you know, pressure from the bar. I don't grip the bar as much when I do hook grip. People always say, oh, your, your double overhand deadlift must be ridiculous. I'm like, I, I mean, it's probably average, but I'm not going yeah. to deadlift 700 plus double overhand. I, I, I'm not undermining myself, but that's just. Yeah, yeah, it's not, not the way it works. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. But it's cool that more people are getting that now because for so long there was a stigma and people were against it. But enough people do it, you know, people start to like pick up on it. Like, hey, this is enough people are being successful with this. There's obviously something to it, you know. Yeah, you got to put in time. Um, when you started doing powerlifting like this, what did your colleagues and everyone in, in the military say? Like, like when they seen, oh, my God, Danny is smashing some massive weights. Like if you fight, if someone sees you and hears you're in the military, they're going to think you're like Wolverine and this is Project X or something. <laughs> They're gonna think, yeah. that, you know. <laughs> no, somebody made a meme a while back to the like that of me being right. a Wolverine. Right, I mean, right. there is some strong guys, but it's kind of harder. It is harder to do powerlifting at a high level in the military because of the, you know, the workload. And like I said, a lot of times, depending on the type of unit you're in, you got to run in PT a lot. And obviously, I get it because I, even though I'm a high level powerlifter, like I'm still, I, I, I signed up for the military. I'm currently in the military, so I can't just gap off. If, if, I, if they say I have to do the training, I have to do it. Right. And Ashton comes across that sometimes. Like, he, his training is off for a while because he has to do extra military stuff. You know, it is what it is. But I'm getting out next year, so that'll change eventually. But it's, it's definitely hard to juggle. And obviously, body weight-wise, I've had to eat. I mean, I've always had a good appetite. But to get above 250, I really had to start eating a lot more. Like, I eat. I eat five to six times a day. Normally one to two of those are shakes. Like I do a, a little bit of mass gainer with peanut butter and bananas. Um, but I just have a fast metabolism. So running and stuff, or even when I ran, in order for me to gain weight, I'd have to eat three to four quality, like beef or chicken and rice meals, plus a couple shakes. And it, if I'm still hungry at the end of the night, I'll eat more because I know I'm not going to – I'm too – the lifting and all the activity I do every day, it's like – now I'm not going to eat like shit, but I'm not – there's no way I would ever get fat eating clean, healthy food if right. I eat a little extra of it, you know. Do you know how many calories you have a day? I normally around 5,500. Oh, uh, shit. Oh, damn. Yeah, it's, 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 you, it's a lot, but I don't know. I, I've slowly and gradually built up. It's not like one day. Right. 
I went from like 3,000 times. I'm like, you know what? It's go time. Let's <laughs> throw on an extra. It's, that's where most people get wrong is I've never really bulked. Like, I don't believe in straight bulking because when you, if you bulk 10, 15 pounds, like most of the time it's just water weight. You're, like, you're not, if you're eating quality food, you can maybe put on one, two, three pounds a month, maybe, or every six weeks. Yeah. And that's better because that's going to be more like long term weight gain because I, and plus, me being in the military, I could never gain too much weight with my constant activity level. But I, every every four or five, six months, I was slowly – and I've done this over years. So I've been powerlifting nine years now. So it's like periodically I gain three to five pounds a year, which seems like a lot. But when you break it down into every three, four months, that's a pound or maybe 0.8 of a pound. Right. You know, people, people get nearsighted, especially on social media nowadays. Like if you look like five years from now and give yourself a plan – whether it's diet, lifting goals and stuff, it's a lot. I like breaking stuff down segmentally, you know. Because mm. when I started, this is crazy, but when I started powerlifting in 2014, my lifetime goals, my lifetime goal was a total of 2,000 pounds. Because at the time, regardless of body weight, a 2,000 pound total was insane, right? And yeah. To me, I was like, and I didn't know things were going to change. I didn't know that everyone was going to evolve like they did. So I was like, I'm going to squat 800, bench 500, deadlift 800. That's what I thought would get me to 2,000. But obviously, you know, things turned out a little different. But yeah. I gave myself, I gave myself ten years to reach that goal. I was twenty. I was like, by the time I'm thirty, I'm gonna put out, you know, consistently train and eat right. And I wanna, I wasn't like, yeah, in a year or two, I'll total two thousand. That's, I mean, yeah. it's great to be aggressive and have huge goals, but you need to break it down, in my opinion. So then it's more attainable, and you have those little wins, those little wins to look forward to, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah, at five ten kilos do a lift. Hell yeah, you know, let's build on that. I'm still gonna, I'm still going towards the 800 pound squat. But guess what? I hit this PR. This whole cycle, I've been consistent. Like I look for ways to like show that I'm trending in the right direction. You know? Yeah, I mean, if you don't have, um, if you reach your goals that quickly, anyways, it doesn't say much for your goals. Like at life, yeah, it's, it's about the journey. How are you gonna last ten years if you reach it in like six months, man? That's not. What are you gonna do with, with the rest of your life, man? Um, when you first got into powerlifting, who were, did you have people you looked up to or people that you followed or like, cause 2013, 14, it was kind of a point in powerlifting, like before the social media part really took off, you know? What oh I mean? yeah. It was, it was totally way different back then. I mean, yeah. back then, obviously I thought Dan Green was a badass cause he oh, was yeah. like, Dan yeah. Green was like a Greek God. I yeah. mean, cause early 2000s, you know, the mentality Powell would just be like, I don't care. I'll get fat. I'm about performance. But he was one of the – there's probably people before him, but maybe his presence. He made me think, okay, I can get big and strong, but I don't need to become a fat, you know, you know what. Like, I can yeah. I can do this the right way and do it healthy and not not over – you know, because you see a lot of old school – there is a lot of jack old school powerlifters, but it was mainly the multiply people that were really fat. Yeah, but, God bless. God bless. Yeah, God bless them. Yeah, that's <laughs> – yeah, I'm actually getting a CPAP pretty soon here. So Dog, I, I got a CPAP. It changed you? my life, man. Yeah, man. Okay, awesome. Change your life, yeah. man. It's it, it yeah. works. Yeah, I'm excited to try it. I just did the sleep study and obviously I did I failed it. So I don't know how long it'll take. I'm gonna go back again so they can measure I'll sleep again and they'll measure to figure out what kind of CPAP and the to level it out, but hopefully in the next month. Cause I'm I'm just about to start prep for the American Pro, but even if I could get five, six weeks of that CPAP, I feel like it's going to help my recovery. And it's overall oh. well-being because the worst part is I wake up and it's just like I'm instantly 
I'm instantly lethargic and it's just like I struggle to focus and in my job I need to focus for period long periods of time mm. and I start dazing off and I lose my focus and I'll make mistakes during funerals because it's just like I'm just like struggling anytime I have to stand for a prolonged period of time and I'm not doing anything my natural reaction is just to like you know and it, it happened so gradually it happened over a few years like once I got over like two 240 that's when I think it started happening but I always told myself no CPAPs are just for you know people who are extremely fat like there's not I'm healthy I'm under 13 14 percent body fat I don't need a CPAP you know but yeah no, it, it's so some of it is um also so it's not it, it is if you're bigger but it's also how the inside of your throat and everything is is naturally built sometimes but for anyone listening so essentially sleep apnea um the you have the airway gets blocked and that's why you snore, right? When, when you're breathing. Yeah. And um, you can, you, if, you, if you picture a level is awake and down here would be deep sleep. And you bounce between deep sleep and awake. And you, when you snore, your body, because you stop breathing. So your body doesn't fully wake you up. But it needs you to be awake enough you breathe again. So it brings you just below fully awake again. So while you're bouncing between actual deep sleep, which you should be, that's when you actually recover. Your heart rate lowers. Um, you know, everything starts recovering. You never get low enough because your body is constantly semi-waking you up throughout the whole night hundreds of times. And you don't even know it. And then when they do a sleep study, they're like, you never, you got like, 30 minutes of good sleep. The rest of it was so shallow. Your heart rate never fully lowered. If you were to go like guys like me and you, if we were born 300 years ago, we die at 40 because yeah. our hearts, we were those dudes. Whereas a CPAP machine forces your airway open. So you go into deep sleep for really real. And then you actually, your heart rate really does lower and you actually sleep that you're supposed to. You'll live to be like, whatever the shit, man. You know, yeah. like, you know, it's different. But but yeah. your day-to-day, -day, how you handle, like, stressful moments, how you handle, like, memory recall and stuff. Like, sleep is a massive deal for you. Even your hormone levels and stuff, well, it, it feels better. You feel better with sleep. It's proven. Um, So... Dude, you're gonna love it. It's you once you get your yeah. CPAP, dog. I'm shameless. I'm, I'm I pack that shit with me everywhere I everywhere, go. I, every I, trip you go on, man. I don't even care. People like they're like, are you embarrassed about? It? I feel like I look like Maverick from Top Gun when I got that thing on. I don't care, man. It <laughs> is what it is, man. I'm like, but yeah, um, I mean, it's gonna improve your quality of life. So who cares how bulky or I mean, I it's not incredibly bulky, but I, I actually tried. I bought one off Craigslist like six months ago, but. I, it just wasn't the right one because I tried using it in all the, all the different settings. It just, I couldn't yeah, get one yeah. and I wanted to get it through the military anyway. So then when I get out my military health claim, I can claim, claim and sleep apnea. That's a lot of money for your. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Cause I'm Canadian. So it's, um, you know, we got that commie healthcare. So, yeah. <laughs> so it mostly is covered, but I had a buddy who was in the Canadian military and he, he was like a fighter pilot and he was like, afraid to get tested because if he was diagnosed with sleep apnea, I don't even think he could fly a plane. So he's like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, he's like, I don't even know if I got it, but I'm afraid. I know I snore, but I'm afraid. So he's like, yeah, me. that's, I mean, in jobs like that, like I said, any job where there's peak, like as a pilot, you have to be caught like, and that's honestly, I've heard at least in parts of American military, a lot of pilots stay similar to like, 
you know, Adderall, like other kind of stimulants, because you're doing a hyper-focused job where your yeah. life and so much is on the line. Yeah, stimulants are pretty common, I think, in those types of jobs. But even then, you still shouldn't, that shouldn't mask you getting a good quality sleep. Like, that's always going to be the best thing for you. Yeah, well, that's the thing with Adderall is like uh, those, like like an amphetamine is, um, you know, it's funny. I just heard a podcast. The podcast host, I listened to an MMA podcast, and the host was mm-hmm. talking about he went through a tough period of time. Uh, his mom like committed suicide is very difficult and he was in the military he's a marine actually and he was talking about um he was taking Adderall for a little bit to keep himself like to to focus and whatnot but he said like he could not sleep because it would it's a it's a crazy big stim and um and your body does become addicted to it as well pretty so it's oh yeah I've heard stories that's what that's what turned me off because I feel like to an extent I probably have ADD but I've been experimenting with nootropics and they've definitely helped with it's it's obviously probably not exactly the same but it's like a good alternative without the addictive properties you know dude i i know i know somebody who started taking adderall or, or an amphetamine and like it changes you as well though like you not not like crazy but like uh you are not exactly you when you if like like an amph- amphetamines are nothing to fuck around with you know what i mean like we're yeah. talking this is a just performance it actually will be like it's it's like low-grade meth you know you got to be careful i've heard that before it's it's it like is. the rich person version of meth it's you just get same, a prescription instead of smoking it it's the, exactly that it's the same properties extremely addictive and the the nickname for adderall is matterall because people like you get <laughs> you get mood swings and you know like the shit is I don't know it's nothing to play with so anybody who's got ADHD I feel for you but um, you know I mean Lane Norton talks about how he's got ADHD he went to school to be obviously like a doctor and everything and um, he's like I make it work for me man because I can multitask like a motherfucker I could have a screen and have six different things on my screen and they're like. <laughs> How do you pay attention? He's like, I don't, man. I bounce between all of them. He's <laughs> right. That's that's my ADHD working for me. I'm all over the place. I keep it moving. Um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, yeah, man. I mean, once you get the CPAP, things will will keep it moving for you, and it'll. I, I guarantee you, you're gonna feel a million times better. Um, and and I was asking you also about. So initially, you're talking about Dan Green, and I remember mm-hmm. those days, 2013, 14, whatever. And Dan Green, no skinny champions. Looks like he walked right out of a fucking comic book. Super Jack, the long hair, backwards oh, hat. Yeah. The dude was, he was the dude, man. He was like legitimately, he was, he was the boss. Um, and it was a different time too, huh? Like social media wise. Now, obviously, like you know, King of the Lifts and all these podcasts. Yeah. Live So streams, prevalent everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere, man. Um, when that started changing for you, because you started gaining notoriety during this era. Like, this is kind of when you started coming up. How do you feel yeah. about all of it? Like, do you, like, building, being in the military and having such long days does somewhat remove you from it? Do you, do you, or are you in it? Do you follow it? Do you, like, how do you deal with the social media impact of it? Yeah, I definitely follow it. I mean, obviously, some days I'm more busy and I might not be on Instagram as much. But I, I do think people can say what they want. But I think overall, the, the, Increased exposure of social media. It's a good thing because I don't ever think powerlifting will be Olympic sport. I mean, obviously, I think the IPF in general was – they could still possibly go that route. But I think powerlifting, it's, it's a niche sport, but we can still improve things to get better. Kind of like 
you know, on the untested side, they're trying to start to do a lot of what you guys are doing, how you run meets, because you run meets from what I've seen very well. I mean, I, from what I've, I've observed. So we can still improve as a sport, but I feel like social media, there's a lot of sponsors, you know, I'm not saying they don't know about us, but social media is going to help grow and show everyone that this is a sport you can do and it's legit. And people from different backgrounds of sports now, you know, a lot of CrossFitters, a lot of other sports, and a lot of it too is strongman got big. And a lot of people, I love watching strongman as a kid with my dad, world's strongest man. Yeah. That was always some of the funnest memories. So I started with strongman and now powerlifting, I feel like got some exposure from that. Cause now people are like, wow, you know, if I'm done doing set sport and I'm pretty strong in the lifts, I have something kind of like me, I can compete in and have that competitive edge and still push myself in some way. So I'm not just working out just cause in the gym without a purpose. But that's the thing is I always need a goal, right? I can't, can't just go into the gym and be like, Oh, shit, I think I'll be today. Oh, I think I might do some lap pull downs. Like I like having some sort of structure. In yeah. the beginning, that's why I loved it, because I didn't know if I was ever going to be great, but at least I would have a fun way to push myself and, and see where I stand, you know, in terms of fitness and being being strong and whatnot. But people will say, oh, you know, like a lot of people get cloud who aren't even strong or whatever. But that's that's in general today, like with uh, what's it called? TikTok and stuff. You can like you can get famous in any way nowadays. It's just cool because like. You could do the most ridiculous thing and it'll, it could blow up. Like back at, like, I feel like 20, 30 years ago, you couldn't get yourself out there as much, but now it's so easy. If you put yourself out there and you're smart about it, like you can grow, have a following, potentially get sponsorships, mm-hmm. make revenue, you know, but, oh, I have my programs, whatnot. So it's, it's very lucrative for a lot of people if they know how to use it. And I've just now, ever since the meet, I've gained like 14, 50,000 followers. Holy and now shit. I'm starting- yeah, I went from 18 to now I have like 36,000. 36, and now I'm starting to realize too, you know, oh, like something I might do in the future is like a, cons- a consulting kind of thing. So you pay a fee, like 30, 40 bucks, something like that. And you could chat with me for 20, 30 minutes. I'll, I'll cap it a certain time. But because I get a lot of DMs about, you know, of course, deadlift technique, but a bunch of random stuff. But it's just too many to, if I answered all of them, I'd be spending hours a day, you know, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I can't do that. So that would show me who really wants to do it. Like if someone really wants to learn, paying a small fee would not be a big deal to them. And they're, they're going to actually apply themselves and take notes because if I just give you information for free, you might, you might listen to it. You might not. But once again, I, I don't want my time to be wasted. And that's now that I have the following and stuff and a lot more people are interested stuff like that, you know, or maybe I'll come out with templates in the future, stuff like that. And obviously through social media, that's possible. If I, if I wasn't on Instagram, or I, I might get a TikTok. I might. I, people keep telling me if you get TikTok, you'll blow up. But it's just, yes, you would. Yes, you would, dog. It, it's I, overwhelming. It'd be yeah. overwhelming having. Because I, I don't even do like I have Facebook, but that's just for family. Like I just have the messenger. So if anyone ever messes me, I don't actually look on Facebook. Yeah, so I'm predominantly Instagram. But you know, it's obviously you, you get a new app. You got to figure it out. You got to f- figure out. You know, I've heard TikTok. You don't, you can't say very much in the in the captions. Like, isn't it? it? Yeah. Yeah, man. It's like a reel. It's like, it's kind of like an Instagram uh, reel. Kind of like Vine. It's like what Vine once was. Kinda. It's like that, man. And, and the, um, the nature of the videos that blow up on TikTok are stitched different. Uh, they're a little, a little more immature type deal because yeah. the, the, the crowd, I mean, it is what it is. It's a lot but, younger crowd. Right. And here's, a, here's, okay. So first off, 
100% agree with everything you said about social media. I had a, a discussion with somebody that was talking about like, do you miss the old days of powerlifting before there was <laughs> social media? And I got what this person was saying because they had some good points about like, you know, you just show up, have no expectations of who was who. I remember showing up and be like, oh shit, that's what Dan looks like. And I wouldn't even know what you look like. I mean, I would just see your numbers because yeah. there's no such thing, right? Um, but so there is kind of that and is retreat back to your day-to-day -day and it's just fun, whatever. However, we would never as a sport, unless you're on television, we would never have gotten where we are because like, like the live streams and like people have like followings of hundreds of thousands of people and like sponsorships, people make livings as powerlifters yeah. and like competitions where sponsors will throw thousands of dollars in it. Like none of this would happen. Um, you know, podcasts with preview shows, recap shows, interviews with yourself. Like people get to know you, hear about what you do as a job and get a sense of you. And like none of this. And just like you said as well, people, athletes finding powerlifting. You would, there's, it would be so hard to get someone to find powerlifting without social media. Like previously, the amount of people who powerlifted was so little. Nowadays, the reason why the standard of powerlifting shot up so much is because the talent pool is so deeper. We got oh, guys yeah. like, we got freaks like Ashton Rouska walking around who are now powerlifters. He might not have found powerlifting. He might've ended up doing football. And then when he's done, he's done. You know, like now it's like, no, yeah. sir, you know, come to us. We'll take you young man. Like it's, um, yeah. So 100%, I know what you mean. Like in terms of positive, negative. Yeah. There's negatives. People, do some negative shit. There's some bullying and shit like that. Some things get ugly, dirty, but you gotta, you gotta negotiate on your end, what you view, who you follow, who you reply to, you know, I've taken a, a route kind of like Russell over. He takes a route where it's like, you don't have to reply to everybody and you don't, yeah. you don't lose face by not replying. As a matter of fact, you look bigger when you don't reply. You oh, yeah. look, you look like, oh, there. Sometimes when you reply to someone, like, holy fuck, I can't believe you replied to me. And I'm like, and then I realized I shouldn't have replied. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, I lowered myself. They didn't even. I blew, I blew my cover. <laughs> that's it. They thought I was too big. I should have stayed big. And it's true. It's like, even if not big by following, just big by character. You're bigger than that. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't care how many people follow you. You can be bigger than that bullshit. Don't let someone pull you into some shit. You yeah. Know, uh, there was a, there was an example, like, I think it was a few weeks ago or it was, it was right after the meet. So this guy, I don't know, like I've never done this before, but I just, I just felt the reason to do this. So this guy on my post, I think it was my meet recap post. He commented. Oh no, it was right after the meet when I did 785 for double conventional. And this dude tagged his friend, and he's just like, yeah, bro, do this. He's not even doing 800 pounds and, like, sumo's bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And then I just roasted him, or I tagged him in the story, and then I showed – I went on his profile, and he's my same weight class, untested, and he's totaling, like, 1,750 pounds. And I'm like – and I said something like, how – of all people, how are you to, like – like, even conventional, I would smoke you. Like, I would yeah. – he, he deadlifted 700 pounds conventional. That's me. I was like, I could literally keep warming up with your literal max conventional and, and looking back, I was like, I probably shouldn't have done anything. And then, you know, people laugh, but then I was like, afterwards, I was like, you know what, maybe I could have just let that go. But like in the future, I definitely won't 
Because sometimes people, even if it's bad publicity, they want to egg you on just to try to make it about something else. And then afterwards, yeah, it was just kind of like, I was like, man, I don't need to get caught up in this. It doesn't, like, there's always going to be people who hate on you no matter what you, you can do everything right and people will still try to pick you apart for the most minute, pointless thing, you know? And I'm starting to realize that because when you don't have a following, it's kind of like whatever. But once you get a certain amount of traction, and like I said, you repost me, a whole bunch of pages repost me every time I deadlift or do something now. A lot of people, it brings brings a lot of good people, but then there's always a few who are just like salty. It's always about deadlifting, obviously. It's just like, oh, of course, sumo. Oh, I mean, if your legs were not as wide, you would you would be obsolete. I'm like, okay, bro, whatever. I, I just let it fly. I don't it just, I'm learning not to let stuff get under my skin as much because you can't if, if every person who said that got under my skin, I would just be unhappy all the time. I would want to like throw a table over something, you know? I would never be like you gotta learn to mitigate stress and know what really matters, you know. I, I you know what I used um because well well, first off, just for some perspective. So I'll tell you a tool I used that somebody told me, but for some perspective, I remember posting somebody, it was a girl who was benching. And she had an arch people roasted or whatever the shit. And she's like, fuck. And I slid into her DMs like, listen, I seen a couple comments and some of the comments were shitty, but I was like, if you look at 10 shitty comments and that feels like a lot when 10 people jump on you, you're like, fuck man, that can fuck up your day. But then I was like, you also got like 2000 likes. And then I said, look at some of the likes and like these world champions, like hey, Steffi yeah. Cohen, it's Steffi Cohen or whatever. And she's like, say less, I'm good. And I'm like, don't let 10 people, don't let 10 dickheads change the fact that 2000 people liked you. Yeah, And the, the problem is, as humans, it's the noisy 2% that you'll, you'll remember a bad comment. Even if 2000 people give you props, 10 yeah. people talk shit. And you're like, damn it, man, that fucking hurt. <laughs> um, you know, it'll bother you. You're like, shit. And then um, yeah. what I also noticed is if I, if I clap back and I talk a little shit back afterwards, sometimes I actually one time did, and I went at this dude and I like, re- I, I did, kind of did what you did. And I reposted, I found his bench and I reposted his bench because he wasn't attacking me. He attacked someone I had posted and I felt almost like I made that person. Obligated, yeah. I, I made them vulnerable and I'm like, I, I'm going to stick up for the person. So then I went, grabbed his bench. I'm like, well, take a look at the homeboy's bench that's talking shit. And then um, the thing is, okay, initially some people like laughing, like, yeah. And then a couple people reached out who follow and were like, man, the one guy was like, you're bigger than that, dude. You're, that's not yeah. you. That's not you, yeah. though. That's not how you conduct yourself. And that actually fucked me up. Danny, I walked away like, that isn't me, man. And I actually was like, I don't feel good. Like I, I like a, the next day when the joke wasn't funny anymore, I was like, I actually don't feel good. I hope that guy doesn't feel bad about himself. You know what I mean? I was like, fuck, man, I'm yeah. not the dude who bullies people. I don't like that. So I was like, shit. So then I started using this tool. Somebody told me who's on the podcast having a conversation like this. And the person said, try not to take things personal. She was like, it was Jen Milliken. She was like an IPF world champion at one point. She was like, there was a time when I took everything personal. Um, if the weather was bad I'd be like, and I planned a picnic, it'd be like, just my luck as though the weather was bad because of me. Like some people, she was like, I used to walk around taking things personal. Ah, this is just my luck. Or, oh, if you say something, I'm going to take it. I'm taking it personal. Like it hurt, like whatever. 
as a, even if you said it towards me, 99% of the time, that person, it's not you. There's something about them. Like the guy who commented on your sumo, he yeah. is not living up to his own expectations. He fucking wishes. So it's about him. So he goes at you, but it has nothing to do with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I love that. That's so, so true though, personal. because when it's you break personal. it down like that, it's, a, it's, it's just about what someone else is lacking or what someone else, your achievement is making them realize their faults or making them realize, wow, I totally could be better. This person is better, but screw them because said reason. Right. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter like, what I, it is. Like I joke sometimes, obviously about like, Guys, great squat benches. I'll just joke yeah. jokingly, just like, yeah, imagine if I was like, you know, like that or something. But like, yeah. I still respect those people because just it's like, and this is what I don't get is powerlifting. A lot of people who follow the sport, they've never really done it, or they're just kind of like they're like casual fans. And it's like any other sport, if you have a if you have an inherent advantage, like if you're in track and field, if you have a longer stride, like people don't say, oh, that's unfair. That three thousand meters. 3,000 meter world champion, her legs are way longer than everyone else's. So she can, she can take bigger strides and conserve less energy. You don't hear people saying that in right. basketball. You don't hear people say it's unfair that he's seven feet. He shouldn't play with everyone. That's not fair to everyone else who isn't as tall, but in powerlifting people whine and bitch about that person has long arms. That person has short range, much on bench. Like it's doesn't really have a spot. I mean, you know, people with short legs, it's like, as soon as they open up their hips, they're at parallel, you know, obviously I wish I could have that, but it's not like, it's not, I don't take that personal because we're all built different. We have different leverages. Now I'm great at deadlifting, but obviously bench is taking some time to come up. I'm definitely a decent squatter, but like everybody's leverages give them advantages, but it doesn't mean you're automatically going to be great if you had said leverages, you know, not everybody with an extremely wide bench is going to be with a short range of motion is going to be a world record bench presser. We've seen it, you know? And even like, um, even if you have thoughts and critiques, there's a way of articulating it without trying to attack somebody and make someone feel shitty about themselves. That's more like when it's like, when someone gets shitty and aggressive with me and like, Doug, the problem is the, the bigger the following you get, you'll end up people like, did you know that like, I it's, so, you know, you're talking about people trying to lure you into giving them some shine a trap. Yeah. It's a trap dog. I end up with like memes and all types of shit. And I'm like, I don't even know about it until someone tells me like six months after the fact. And and then, you know, if things get weird, you're like, what the heck? But you don't uh, bite into it. But, um, if you realize that it's, it's actually nothing to do with you, man, they don't know you. They don't give a shit. They're, they're either yeah. like they're either it's something about them that they're not getting enough of, or um, or it's a trap and they want you to go back and forth like a rapper might who disses another <laughs> rapper. You know, like if you're a rapper on the come up, you're going to diss Drake and be like, please say my name in your next yeah. album so everybody knows so you don't fall for it. Um, you know, Leading into this competition, you know, some people were talking previously, who's going to be the first to, to do a, a thousand in a three lift uh, powerlifting meet? You know, were, were these your goals? Like, did you, what were your goals? coming into 2022 and were you hoping to be the first or um so after the showdown after the showdown last year i pulled i pulled 970 and i i tried a thousand but i just lost my balance at the top i think part of it was just my back and stuff it rose and i was in a bad position to lock out but i felt like it was more so mental like i when i attempted a thousand three 
I felt like I was a little scared, you know, and I felt like I could have, if I would have had a better mindset, I would have possibly gotten it. So then, you know, after the meet, it's like September for a few months, I'm just kind of just, you know, in limbo, I'm training, but I'm not really pushing too hard. And then around like November, December, I decided, okay, I'm trying to remember when I said I was going to do the American pro, but my plan was, okay, I'll do a meet early in the year and try to pull a thousand, do a full meet, but obviously squad, I didn't push hard PR and bench and then pull a thousand. And then at the American pro or whatever meet I was going to do later in the year, I wanted a total 20, 2250 to 2300. So that was my schematic, my framework. And so, like I said, November, December is when I decided, okay, I'm going to do a meet in the springtime. And I ended up deciding on the meet I did only because it was just the closest one I could find. It was in Virginia Beach, Virginia. It was like, it was three hours away. I couldn't, couldn't find one closer. And like the two or three feds around like USPA and this other fed, I don't remember. But I just showed that meet. I'm like, whatever, Virginia Beach should be fun. And throughout my prep, I knew I was going to pull a thousand. And the thing is, I didn't know until weigh-ins of, I physically went to weigh-ins that there'd be a kabuki bar. So I was kind of worried at first because, you know, I had heard things about, oh, it's extra whippy, you know, Nerling's crazy, blah, blah, blah. And so part of me was, part of me wishes, because I knew I would have had a thousand on a Texas bar. I don't care what people say. Obviously, the kabuki bar can help if you know how to use it. But it was my first time using it. Like, I didn't get to train with this bar beforehand. Mm. And now, actually, ironically, a second. Uh, if you, you see it? You oh, see the yeah. Cat? There, there, there he is in all of his glory. <laughs> I got it. Uh, I got it ye- yesterday, actually. And it, I got it in black oxide because I like uh, the silver's okay, but I like black's my favorite color. It's cool, so. man. Cool. Yeah. And, and I've heard the, I've heard the Cerakote. So the Kabuki bar, you could get in silver, black, and uh, like a red Cerakote. The two other versions, the Nerling is slightly less aggressive because of the coating. So that's oh. also a plus. I mean, the knurling is still going to be ridiculous. I'm going to break it in tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm deadlifting, and I'm going to do 960. It's either 963 or 968. I'm usually – I usually do more accidentally, but I'll actually stick because I don't <laughs> – usually my top set, I'll pretend I miscount, and I'll just add like two to five pounds. But I'm doing 968 for a double, and then three set. I do three back count sets. Obviously, the weights vary, but I do one top set at a heavier weight, and then I have my back downs. I do – I'm doing three sets of six back downs at 870 and then two other weights. I think low 800s. But um, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. So the – or what were you going to say? No, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So back to the Kabuki bar. So I did – the 1,025 was on the Kabuki, but the whip was just – you have to really be slow and controlled because any – if you rip the if you rip it off the floor too hard, it's going to throw you off. And mm. any excess – any excess of speed and movement, like the way certain people pull, they would have to change the way they pull because you can't, you can't be aggressive on this bar because it'll expose you and the whip will just feel like a tsunami or a bamboo bar. It just won't stop whipping at the top if you're too explosive bringing your hips through or just off the ground in general. So now I'll get to train on it a little bit. But I, I've already started trying to be more controlled off the ground even weeks prior. But the Kabuki is just a whole different. Yeah. I love the knurling, but it's a whole different level, man. It's just, yeah, it's wild. People don't and miss if first, people don't know sumo yeah. is sumo is so like technical, and so many things can go wrong with a sumo pull at the top. Like everything could be fine, and you lose it at the top. Even a down upward movement. You know, like, yeah, ah. it's you frustrating because when I did conventional, 
Now, albeit I, I only got up to like not only, but I got to seven seventy conventional, and then I switched to sumo. Well, conventional, it's like you can pitch forward, you can kind of lose position, and if you're strong or if you're able to keep grinding through, you can kind of find your way back into position. But with sumo, if you pitch forward, it's game over. There's no like correcting yourself. There's no like okay. I have 900 plus pounds and I'm like an inch over the bar. I'll just like, no, you're just, you're going to fall on your ass. Yeah. That's the only frustrating thing is like, like I'm getting better at being more controlled and being able to push through reps. But if my positioning is ever horrible off the floor at lockout, it's not going to look pretty. So like deadlifting in general to me is a big part about starting position. But with sumo, it's like your starting position is like what you, where you end depends on your start. You know, if you're not set from the ground up, like the rest of your pull is not going to translate, in my opinion. And this is kind of where people start developing um, like routines before they pull sumo. Or people do it before they pull any deadlift. But I know outsiders see these routines and to them sometimes it's funny or whatever. And if you, you made certain lifters like a silhouette and totally blacked out silhouette, I could fucking tell you who's who based off yeah, of what they did before just, they pull it. I'm, I'm a powerlifting nerd though. Cause then I'm, I'm reposting every day, but there's something about it that like the routine gets you in motion for like the proper setup, the proper pull, the proper dynamics, everything is like paced. You know what I mean? It's like, like to the beat of like you're dancing to your drum, you know what I mean? Where it's like bang, yeah. bang, bang before the pull and then bang, bang, bang once the pull starts. And now you're like pacing and doing it properly. It's hard to like articulate how this shit happens. But like, because uh, certain people are like, are they're doing this for show? They're so extra. And I'm like, man, I'm telling you, even if I deadlift by myself, like I, I do things, the same thing. Yeah, you know you're what still I mean? going like, to do your same setup. It's not yeah, going to change. It's not for other people. People actually... People who don't know, that's another thing they say online is like, why are these people so extra? I, I promise you it's not. It's hard to articulate why people do it, though. You know, like yeah, a I mean, before they did. Yeah, you know, everybody, it's kind of just how you perceive and think about things. Some people, I'm not going to lie, my routine kind of came about because of Dan Green, because he used to, he would like get up to the bar and then he would just like, you know, yeah. he, he would pack his lats, but he would do it kind of, uh, he'd bring his arms out like this. But I, I do the same thing, but I just, I'll like, I get up to the bar, I get my foot in, you know, open up my legs. And then right before I go down, I partially brace. Like I'm not fully bracing, but I'm just bracing enough to where I can feel the belt. And then I, do I do it two times? Yeah. I'll like, I go like this twice and it's just cueing my lats. Okay. I'm about yeah. to start packing my lats. And then I grab down to the bar. I wiggle my lats in and then I fully brace and spread the floor. But I just, over time, it just kind of, not because obviously Dan Green was an inspiration behind that, but through time it just became muscle memory. And what I've noticed is once a routine becomes ingrained, it also helps with just probably the mental, like you said, sports psychology too. Because when you do the same thing every time, it gets ingrained. Once it gets ingrained, even if I'm nervous, sometimes I still get nervous for lifts. But once I get, once I set up and go through the most of my setup, my mind shuts off because my body is doing what it's programmed to do, yeah. what I do every day, day in and day out. So that's the cool thing about once you have your whatever your optimal setup and routine is, it helps get your mind right. Because once I take a, once I uh, take my breath of air and I start doing this, my mind is just like, okay, I'm on. I'm just focusing on the bar and getting in my position. Nothing else matters. Everything else is a blur to me. 
And next thing I know, I'm lifting the weight, and then it just happens in an instant. You know, that's what you want. You want to get to that point. That took me years, a lot of reps to figure out, okay, this is what I want to do. And you got to do it a certain amount of times for it to become ingrained, ingrained in a way. But yeah, that's my take on it. That's a really good, um, I think you're 100% right, man. It becomes like, it, it, it brings you back. Like this is the same as training. Mentally cues yeah. you. Like it's almost like uh, like anybody, like a boxer needs to, if he's in the middle of a fight, it's like, no, don't get sloppy here. What do you, what's mm -hmm. a cue to bring you to not be sloppy or a pitcher or anybody? You have to do it like you train it. And those are the cues that are like, all right, I do this. Now we're starting to get back to like, I'm just, you're almost like uh, methodical, like a machine, like a robot. You, the amount yeah. of tension, even the amount of time between when you cock your elbows back and tighten your lats to when you grab the bar, if that shit got stretched out by three or four seconds, I'd be like, Dan is off. Something's wrong. Here. Yeah. You could tell when someone sets up, like if yeah, they're tentative and they're not confident, you yeah. see it. You, you, you could call it when they're getting to the bar and then it reflects, it reflects most of the time. Like I've never, if, if you see someone set up and they know how you set up and it looks off in any way, you know, that's about, you know, their head's not right. You know, they're just like overthinking or whatever, but they're not trusting. They're not trusting themselves enough to stick to what they've been doing. Yeah. Right. You're like, what, what was that all about? Like, like, um, Taylor Atwood came to powerlifting American nationals. He was injured. He's doing squat and dead. That's well below his, his like, uh, PRs and stuff. And he approached, like, if I didn't tell you what the weight was, you would think it was like his fucking PR weight. And I'm like, that's how professional approaches it. And I have yeah. seen in like my years of commentating at like the world championships, I've seen, you see a lifter come out and they have the exact same setup every single time. And then when they're about to hit a PR every now and then that happens where let's say you do the double pump and you tighten the lats and then you go down. But before you do, before you went down, there was like an extra few beats in an extra few seconds. And I'm like, there was definitely a stall there. There was, yeah. and I'm like, that took longer. That changed. Did something's in Dan's head. That is not, yeah. he's not, he didn't turn off. He's not an autopilot yet. You can tell <laughs> it. Sometimes I can still get through it. It's not the end of the world, but you know, like, oh, there's some mental duress going on right now. But oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to explain to people, man. No, and this, so this is something too, is like, obviously there, there is peaking for a meet is a, is a process and a skill within itself. But right. I, I usually, I pull 40 to 50 pounds more to meet, and I've done that my last four or five meets. And I think part of why that is, is because I've, even when I was young, I did sports before I knew what fight or flight was before I knew what, you know, your adrenaline and kind of just what that all meant. I realized very on that, like when you're in the moment at a competition, that's not the time to overthink things. And when I'm in front of a crowd and just, especially I love the showdown, like the last meet wasn't bad, but when I'm in a big crowd, I'm just like, obviously you get anxious and stuff. I'm like, Oh shit, it's go time. Yeah. And then it just, it just dials me in. And like for my last prep, now, obviously, like I said, this fluctuated a little bit because I trained on a Texas and then I did the Kabuki bar for the first time of the meet. But my heaviest pull in training was 959 and I pulled 1,025 and I had more in the tank. It wasn't like an RP, like all out 10, you know? So I trust myself at the right moment. I'll, I'll make the lifts that matter. Cause I probably, now, I did a tap 983 six or five weeks out, and I failed it. But it's because at that time, I was struggling with my hips. They were crooked and uneven, and it was causing my 
anyways, it's a whole, that's a whole other story. But even though I failed that lift in my heaviest two or three weeks out, I pulled 959, but it was pretty convincing. I knew, okay, I have a thousand in me because I know from, from years past when I broke 800 pounds, when I pulled 848, my heaviest pull of training was 790. When I pulled 948, my heaviest in training was 870. So I know, okay, if I recover and my CNS is fresh, like I have more in me and in that environment, the adrenaline and the fight or flight just narrows in my focus. And I don't think, I don't, I don't worry about thinking because I know that's the moment where you don't think, you know, yeah. you can never, you can never fully replicate a, a meat environment training. It doesn't matter if you go to a big event and there's a ton of people, just, you knowing that it's a competition that, you know, deep inside, like, Oh shit, this is, <laughs> this isn't training. This is a whole nother level. You know, it's, um, you know, it, there's something, well, first off, some people perform better in the gym than you do in the platform. And I've never been that guy either. And I don't fully no. understand, like how the yeah. fuck does the adrenaline, there's no better pre-workout than adrenaline. You can, yeah. you can, you can have <laughs> no pre-workout at all. Sign up to a competition, have a crowd cheering your name and the adrenaline is going to hit you. And like adrenaline is the reason why a deer that's being chased by a predator can all of a sudden start jumping fucking fences and, and it's top speed increases by like, however many miles per hour adrenaline does that, that is evolution has yeah. put that in your body for a reason. So I don't, it's weird to me how some people are like, when I'm at a competition, I like to be calm, you know, I'm smiling, I'm all calm and cool. And I'm like, fuck man, I'm not that dude. I, I, I kind of, although maybe they still feel the adrenaline, but they're just trying to make it not be too much where they miss their cues. I don't know, but I need the adrenaline. Like I need yeah. that bid. Like the day a big, a big part of it is knowing in my experience, like I, I am controlled, but it's like an inner, like I'm getting hyped up inside. I just don't, I don't feel the need to externally show it. You know, right. I don't need yeah. to grunt. I don't need to yell. I don't need someone to slap. No one's ever going to slap my fucking face. Someone <laughs> slap my, I got a few people slap my back. And honestly, I, it made me want to hurt that person, not hurt the weight. So it's just yeah, like, yeah. like I'm more just kind of dialed into myself. But the thing about adrenaline and just fight or flight is like, you kind of got to learn to time it. It's like, I'm warming up and it's like, I'm like, okay, I'm here, I'm there. And then once you start getting close to lifting, that's when you kind of not just automatically let it out. But if you, the adrenaline can sap you of your energy. If you don't, like, if you get, if you let the nerves and stuff get to you and that's what happens to a lot of people is you just see them, it just drains them mentally, emotionally, because your CNS or just adrenaline in general, once it gets taxed, once it's all gone, then it's like you're back to being on empty, you know? So there's an art to learning how to use it at the right moment, in my opinion. 100%, dude. Um, yeah, th- it's not an, a well that just never runs dry. I wish, but it's I not. Wish. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, that is one thing where I have also experienced firsthand and seen it a bunch where some people start gassing out by the time deadlifts roll around. And it's like you were – you were hyped up on your opener as though like, like you can't maintain or very few people can maintain that. Like you have, it's like a, it's like a fucking video game and you have X amount of power and the power meter runs down. So use it wisely. Okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and, um, and you're 100% right. You can be hyped up without overly showing it. it. It's not about showing it. It's not about being outward with it. Some people look cool as a drum and inside that adrenaline's kicking. 
than yeah. trying to, you know what I mean? They're just like John wicking it and walking in there with a straight face. That's all. But it doesn't mean they don't feel that adrenaline as, as well, which is true. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't want it to fuck up uh, later on. Like, cause you, even with um, nervousness and excitement are very, very similar and they can mm-hmm. ignite adrenaline. And um, there's definitely that adrenaline dump. And when it's gone, that shit ain't coming back, man. Yeah, I've been there before too. I've there's been plenty of times where I just let it consume me, like too early or just like, you know, because I used to try to almost get psyched up. But the problem with the problem with getting aggressive and being psyched up is that takes a lot of energy. And if you do that for every attempt or every set in the gym or every heavy set, that 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 alone is going to drain you. Even if you do try to conserve it, and that's once again with Dan Green, he was, and a lot of dudes in powerlifting were always, and like he was the first guy who was like, wow. You could tell he's dialed in, but he's not, like I said, he's not overly aggressive. He's just like vibing. He's in his own zone. He's yeah. listening to rap. He's just like, you know, he's going off, but he doesn't have to just like, he doesn't have to listen to some metal screamo shit to get going, you know? Yeah, like, man. And even in training, it's true. I've been in situations where like by week, week one, two, three, I'll, we're rocking and rolling. Week six, yeah. seven, eight, I'm like, fuck me. I can't even get up <laughs> anymore. I'm like, it's it's getting tough, man. I need a yeah. new soundtrack or like, I've, how quickly does adrenaline come back? Because I feel like I'm using it way too often. Um, yeah. yeah, man, it's a mental it's a mental drain for sure. Um, have you, so have you been relatively injury free through all this? Because it's amazing with the type of weights that you shift. Yeah, so for the most part, now, I, I do have problems with muscles being tight, like my pec minor, sometimes my traps. I have muscles type that muscles that are tight that inhibit my range of motion and movements. So when my pec minor is tight, it's hard to open up my lat. When my lat doesn't open up, it kind of stems to what I told you earlier about, earlier about those problems. But the only real crazy injuries I've had is two different times I've strained my quad. Now, I didn't tear it, but it was like for a week, you know, I couldn't bend my leg. That's happened multiple times because of my. One second, sorry, I just had a. No worries, buddy. I can still hear you. So we're good. Yeah, I had some. I had somebody call me, so yeah. I kind of disrupted the signal. But as I was saying, I've had two quad uh, strains, but I was just I kept ignoring the fact that I was shifting a lot during squat, and I was doing like a six fifty triple last summer, and the weight shifted too far to my left side. They basically turned into a one-legged squat. You can't mm. squat in 650 with only one leg. It's not great. And I just felt a pop towards the top. And at first, you know, because I don't get a lot of injuries. So I thought it was the end of the world. I was like, oh, my leg. You know, I probably tore the shit out of it. I probably – it's probably torn right off the bone. And then luckily <laughs> I got some uh, – I had someone work on it to break up the fascia. And then uh, within a week it was – I was putting weight and doing body weight exercises. So, but like I said, you know, luckily – I'm glad I'm not the person because sometimes in powerlifting it gets like people are just like, yeah, man, it's not, it's about what it's about all your injuries and what you've overcome. I'm like, I don't want to tear. I don't want to tear my meniscus, my SCL, tear a rotator. I don't need to tear a muscle and come back to be a badass. You know, I don't, <laughs> you're, I'm, I'm going to be the smart. I'm going to try to yeah. be smarter and just not avoid all that. You know? Yeah. Like you're, you're like, I'm okay with my story being a little bit more boring. I don't need need spicy, spicy quad tear. (laughs) Yeah. I don't need, I don't need to say I came back from some insane injury, but obviously the military has kind of kept me grounded. Like a lot of days I would have to not, you know, I'm supposed to work up 700 and I wouldn't, I work up to 650 or 620 because of my workload. So I think 
early on, at least in the military. Now, obviously, now I'm pushing harder. But even today, if a weight, if something doesn't feel right, I'm not just going to push it. I'm not just going to push it and possibly injure myself because I'm in a job where, you know, if I tear a muscle or I, I get some catastrophic injury, my boss or, you know, the Marines in general, they're not going to be happy. Yeah, even though I, don't, you know, I have some records and stuff, they're not going to be like, oh, it's okay. You know, you're out of work for two, three months. They're going to be – that's not going to be a good talk with them. Yeah. So I have to be smart with my training because I'm in a job – if I was obviously self-employed or something, that would be different. But unfortunately, I'm not at the moment. So, you know, if something's not right or I don't feel great, you know, you just adjust because I'm just not – like I said, I'm trying to prevent injuries, but also for my livelihood. Like I don't, this isn't my job. This isn't, I don't get paid to strictly live. So I have to take that into account sometimes, you know, when I train. Uh, how do people like friends, family, coworkers, when they know you deadlift a thousand pounds and like end up like, you know, um, how, do, how do they react? Are they like, holy shit, dude. Like, I mean, it's gotta be the wildest, man. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my family, most, yeah, my family on a whole, they're, they're pretty supportive. And it's just funny because at least a lot of friends and stuff, all they do is, uh, there's, you know, obviously it's impressive in its own way, but comparing it to Thor's 501. And it's, for a while, I would try to specify. I'd be like, no, you know, there's powerlifting, there's strongman, strongman, they use straps and a suit. That's cool in its own way, but they do multiple events that tax their grip. I would do this elaborate explanation, but now I just don't even bother because it's just like, it's just so often that that happens. Not, if you're not an avid powerful fan, I, I'm not saying that's – I'm not shitting on them, but, like, now it's – most of the time it's I'm compared to Strongman. You know, oh, uh, oh, you know, there's two guys who pulled 500. Are you trying to be like them? And I'm just like, yeah, of course I am. Sure. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, I just don't – it was just – like I said, I'm learning to not care about certain things because right. that tells me if they, if they get to say that statement to me, that tells me they don't really know anything about powerful, you know, because they wouldn't – they wouldn't say, hey, you know, are you trying to go after Thor's 501 record if they were actually into powerlifting and they followed powerlifting? You know, I wouldn't have to explain, hey, I do have – I just broke the heaviest self all time regardless of weight class. I just don't need to say that anymore. Or I'm, I'm done trying to explain that because, once again, it's just like it's, don't it, waste your time with – Yeah, like sometimes – sometimes, man, I find too where uh, I tell myself fair enough because there are times when you know you talk to somebody – they're into something niche that you're not into and you'll ask them a question because you're just trying to be polite and try to like, Hey, yeah. I think I know somebody and um, you're hoping they just throw you a bone and be like, yeah, okay, cool. And you're like, I'm probably way off, but I know what you mean where you're like, I'm not going to try to explain, man. It's going to, it's not worth either. Yeah. Time. Like, yeah, that's right. I, I compete with half Thor and uh, we're, <laughs> going, we're going head to head in September. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, what are some of your like long-term goals? What is, cause you said you're out of the military in a year, first off, um, yeah. and powerlifting starting to take off all of, you know, it's starting to take off now. Mm-hmm. What are some of your goals for like powerlifting and then maybe life goals? Like, are you thinking, all right, I don't want to do this for a shitload longer. Cause the, the uh, it's always interesting to me to have a guy like you who could deadlift a thousand pounds. And then at some point, like, fuck it, that must be tough to even think about giving up. To be like to be a normal human being, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> uh, so, part of me wants to, because part of me wanted to stay in government sector, but now I'm thinking, once again, with the social media thing, there's so many opportunities. I'm thinking for a few years because I don't want to. I want to try to, you know, reach all my goals in the next five years. So when I'm 32, 33, be 
be content with that because I've seen a lot of the greats, once they get in their mid to late 30s, it doesn't end well. Like, you don't – very few people – I mean, it's cool to say you've been around 20-plus years, but once again, injuries play a toll. And I'm not just going to compete just to say, I'm oh, I'm old and I'm still impressive. Like, once I once I realize I've hit my peak, I'm just – I'm going to be – I'll be happy with what I've done. And there's no – yeah, what if I'm in my mid to late 30s and I'm not PRing anymore, I'm not competing. That's not – that's not – I'm not just going to go to competitions just to show face. Oh, he got top five in his weight class. Yeah, once I realize or I've achieved all the goals I want, I definitely want to try to stop it then. I think I'm going to deadlift 500 one day. Honestly, like the way I'm going now, I might even try it at the American Pro. Oh, because, shit. Because literally, like I said, I'm this weekend, I'm doubling my heaviest single from prep where I pulled 1,025. So, like, honestly, if I can double – if I can double – 1,020, maybe 1,030, or even if, if my last heaviest pull is around 1,050, then I know I got it because I know I pull 40 to 50 pounds more in a meet. That's literally been – and that's not like it is for everybody, but the way I – my last four five meets, my track record has been just that. So I'm going to try to do one of those two things during prep as long as I'm – you know, my coach, Casey Romero, she does like an RPE. She gives me weights and sets, but also it's RPE. So I need to try to stay within the RPE for those prescribed sets. But yeah, if I do either of those two things, I know I'm going to have a real shot. And if not this year, then definitely next year. I definitely think 5-1 will be there. And obviously, you know, Jamal Browner, I don't know. I, I always thought his name was Kristoff, but is it not – is it like – Kristoff Becky from Poland? I heard someone say in an interview they said it different. I don't know. I'm probably it is – yeah, yeah, we're the, we're the anglicizing. Yeah, 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 we're anglicizing That's, the fuck out of it. It's it's like yeah. to say it properly, you have to pull your tongue out. It's like fucking yeah. yeah. So with those two guys, I mean, we all have the potential. I mean, I know Jamal Brown is things to bring it all together, you know, and he's definitely looks like he's doing it right now. I mean, Kristoff's kind of an enigma because he doesn't. Now, for years, I was the same way. I wouldn't post, but I'm just starting to realize, you know, it's just good. People feel more connected when I post more often and I do Q and A's. Now I do all these things where, you know, people can ask questions and I answer and people get to know more about my life or about my philosophy about training and such. So I am posting a lot more often because I do see the merit in it now, but Christoph wizard by yucky, dude, this dude won't post anything. And I don't know where he's like, Oh, I triple a thousand twenty with straps. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, where was the buildup to that? You don't even know. Like, and then he just pulled 490 with straps and I don't know. Because he because he doesn't show everything, and this is the advantage of being kind of like low key is we don't he's pulled nine eighty eight in a meet, but I don't know how much he benefits from straps. You know, obviously, do I think he could pull that right now without straps? No, but he, I mean, he could easily break my record if it, his grip doesn't seem to be that horrible. Like in the past, I've never I followed him vaguely over the years, even when he was an IPF. Still, he never seemed to have horrible grip problems, and if your grip isn't horrible then he should be good for a thousand plus. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. me just kind of insinuating. So yeah, man, it's going to be interesting. And it's like, it's kind of one of those things where now that I did it, it's only going to push once people do a milestone, then everybody's just going to fall right after. And then the, the limit is going to be even more and more pushed. Like a few years ago, I remember when Yuri Belkin pulled 971, like four or five years ago, something like that. When he did that, I was like, no one's ever going to break that. I thought I would never break that. I was like, damn, it's over, man. Yuri's going to – now I thought he'd pull 1,000. And then it seems like he focuses way more on totals and squat and stuff now. But mm. 
you know, like five years ago, I was like 970. It's going to be hard to beat. No one's ever going to get near that. And then, yeah. you know, Jamal Browner comes along and chips that, you know, and then the next year I pulled 948. And the next year after that, a year and a half later, I pulled 970. So it's a progression, man. And it's like, like you said, the talent pool, better, better athletes overall with better genetic potential. And I don't want to say genetics is everything, but like genetics, everyone at the top 1%, they have the genetics. Like you could, you could get stronger and better. This has is, you know, but to a point, you know, your, your top end potential, that's where the genetics come into play. Like you could add 50, 60 pounds to your squat and you're squatting 400. But yeah, there's people who are still improving, even the seven, eight hundreds, nine hundreds. I feel like a lot of it is your ability to recover. Like I said, a lot of people, they just, they tear ligaments and joints really easy. Like I just, I don't know how to describe it in a genetic sense. You could see it across all sports, you know, on the professional level. Some people, if they just strung it together and they stayed healthy, they would be a legend. They would be like a Hall of Famer, but it's just they just can't seem, can't seem to continually be healthy and continually push themselves, you know? So genetics plays a lot of factors. Now, I don't think genetics is everything, though, because if someone works hard, if someone's above average and they work hard, they could beat someone with great genetics if that person does not care and they're not willing to put out. And you right. see that a lot more often. There's people, they know they have advantages. They know they can get to a pretty decent level without trying. But then they're just too lazy or they're just not passionate enough. They're not willing. They're not willing to do everything that it really takes because they're like, oh, man, I don't want to train harder. I don't want to train longer. I don't want to have to, you know, go to sleep earlier. Or I'm not going to drink a gallon of water. That's stupid. But the person who's willing to do all that, they're definitely going to improve and have more of an edge than the person who isn't, you know. 100%, man. Um it, it will, at the very top end, everybody's a genetic freak. Everybody's, oh, yeah. working, everybody's yeah. working their asses off and doing like three-hour sessions and crazy. It comes down to the finer points where like yourself, you go in there and you're saying, if it feels a little off, I'm not chasing bad money because I had my heart set on this double. It, the weight will change based off that day. Like the, whoever is like, it's the little decisions you make that'll be like on meet day you show up and it's there whereas some people some people can work just as hard and be genetically gifted but they're like it's they get bogged down with like no man my heart is set tuesday was that day where i'm going for that fucking deal and it's like nah man you know or you know it's even like five ten pounds whatever just listen to yourself there was a quote um in training listen to your body in competition Mm -hmm. You tell your body to shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like like, that. I've never heard that before. <laughs> and, and that's, that's what wow. it's like. you need it. That's that real, day, though. that day, you overcome and you just fucking do it. But every other day in competition and training, listen to your body because you you need it's all about building momentum. Because if you're not gaining, if you're not continually gaining traction, your confidence is not going to be where it should be. And then once you mentally get in your head, you could be strong enough. But if your workouts aren't consistent, and like I said, it's just a prep should be building on itself. You know, like you just, you're like, I don't know how to explain like a term, but you're just, you're slowly on the up. And then once you get, once you get to the meet, it's like, okay, now it's time to bring this all together. And that's, that's really a big part of it. I think, I think a lot of people in general, just, um, what was I trying to think of? Well, some people, even when they're riding that momentum, ride it too hard and peak early and leave their best in the yeah. Wow. 
doing what you're, they're trying to do kind of like like at the competition i want to be here so i'm going up like this and they're like fuck with these numbers i could even surpass now nah, brother you're getting greedy guess what's gonna happen oh yeah you know what i mean guess what's gonna happen mm-hmm. you're gonna peak early show up at the competition be like yeah, i peaked two weeks ago <laughs> <Right>? like, <laughs> that's the fine art of it as well where it's like um you do need positive momentum to keep going up and it is that like that's why having a coach is huge. Can I say something about your coach? Yeah. KC Romero, uh, I had her on the podcast. Fucking amazing. I love KC. Uh, like a crazy good, like she's amazing for you because she's a phenomenal deadlifter. Sumo as well. She is a fucking killer deadlifter. Um, and had her on the podcast. She is so smart. She was a mathlete. Did she ever tell you that she was? Yeah, a math- no, she I'm, told me. Yeah. Um, how she has a degree in that? statistics. She has a degree in statistics. Dude, it's so, like she's she's numbers. You want numbers? So that's her major is stats. And for fun in high school, she was on the mathlete team. She was a <laughs> mathlete. It's like, my God, that you can't make this up. Like, if you're going to make a, a movie about a guy like you and your fucking coach is like a killer, but also a mathlete, it's like a superpower. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like having a math background definitely helps her. Oh, yeah. Obviously, she has a template and percentages that help make her formula. Like, obviously, it's not all just numbers. You have to account for other factors outside of just variable numbers. But it definitely, I mean, the way she programs, I've, I mean, and a lot of her athletes say the same thing. You know, she knows how to regulate and how to like, okay, you're feeling off. Okay, we'll, we'll drop the weight, adjust the reps and the intensity, and you'll still get better in some way, and we'll just carry on to next week. Like, not a lot of coaches are willing to put that amount of work in or can actually think like, okay, how can I still make this work? You know, she definitely puts out for all of her athletes, which is awesome. You it's know? a, it's an analytical mind, like an analytical approach to it. And she could be like, you know, this is the poundage you've been lifting in terms of volume over this week. And this is where you're peaking and the conditioning wise, you know, if we bring you up to this and she knows, well, we'll raise the intensity, but I got to keep the volume up. And like, she'll start tracking the numbers and trends per week leading into it. And she knows, well, we don't want <laughs> yeah. to fry Dan. So like, she's got that mind to it, man, which helps. Right. So, um, and and she's a powerlifter, so she could apply it. It works, man. It's it's another thing about powerlifting where you like you get all types, and people will shock the shit out of you. Like if you, yeah. you know, like when you stop and sit down with them and realize, like you are nothing like I thought you'd be. You know, with some of these people. Uh, but uh, but anyways, so you got your you got your um, short term goals and long term. You're thinking, you know around in the mid thirties, if it starts turning on you, you're like, all right, I'm good to back it up. When all is said and done, and here's a question I like to ask people when they come on the podcast, mm-hmm. let's say you're 55 years old and you're looking back. How do you want to be remembered and powerlifting? That's a good question. Like I, I know this is the thing is like, I know I'll have my time, but then eventually other people like records are meant to be broken, you know? So I, it would be cool, like, it would be cool to have some records still 20, 30 years later, so then when I have kids, they could just be like, hey, look, you know, dad's still relevant in some way, but I know eventually that someone will come across, there'll be another one of me who's also equally gifted, has all the right factors, but I just want to be known as just someone who gave it, gave it his all, because I, I literally want to max out, if I gave it everything I had, and I knew I couldn't do any more, not... Yeah, maybe you might have been able to PR a little bit here and there. But the last eight, nine years, I've done everything I could around my job. 
I, I structure my meals. I meat prep on the weekends. I stay up late as fuck at night to make sure I drink enough and I eat enough and all this stuff. And that gives me so, that makes me feel good when I do a competition because I know I couldn't, no stone was unturned. Like there's literally nothing else I could have done to prepare in the right way. So when it's all said and done, no matter how many records I break or whatever my highest PRs are, PRs are, I'll know that giving it my all, like that's a great feeling, you know, in anything, whether it's life, just family, whatever, knowing you gave everything you had, that's like, that's all I want to know I did, you know? And obviously I want to try to meet as many people. I love building relationships and meeting like-minded people, which is also great. But yeah, that's the main, because that, that would be the worst is, you know, 20, 30 years later, I look back and I'm just like, damn, you know, if I wouldn't, obviously I would never do this, but damn, if I wouldn't have drank and partied and done all this shit, you know, I probably could have been a little better. Oh, you know, maybe if I didn't slack off so much, I, my potential, that's the worst, man. Like, I don't, that's what I'm scared of most is re- thinking, you know what, you could have been so much better if you would have just applied yourself. And it's so easy to do all the, li- not easy, but doing all the little things. That's what you can control, you know? Like mm. I said, your diet, your nutrition, everything that you can control, there's no excuse for you not to do that. Like, I do it, and I work a job, like, the longest time, 12, 14 hours, wake up early fuck in the morning. I, I'm a Marine, and then I do this. And if I can make it work, I feel like most people can, you know? But people make excuses, and it's like, if you really want it bad enough, you could you can make it work, I feel, you know? And that's for, like, anybody listening, it's like, are you do you want it like that? That's how you're gonna how to be Danny Griggs. Yeah, I mean you're not like I go out to eat sometimes. I I have fun every once in a while, but I can't can't be drinking every weekend. I can't like stay up late at night. And people think I'm boring sometimes, but that's I mean, like I said, I say what it takes, but that's kind of obvious with any sport. But you have to be structured, you have to be disciplined because now there's always gonna be that one dude who's like a world record holder, a world champion, and he parties every weekend or whatever, like. There's always going to be that outlier, but like, I feel like you did, you talk to most of the top guys. They're not like that. You know, yeah. it's really hard unless you're like, I mean, I remember watching a video one time, Usain Bolt, when he was like 15, 16, this guy was not, he didn't really take sprinting that seriously. And he was reaching 10 flat in the hundred. And then at 18, 19, he's like, okay, I'm going to push myself in two, three years. He, he runs five, nine, five, nine. So like, there's not a lot of people like that. He's a once in a lifetime athlete, but even me, like, I feel like I have great genetics, but I would not be where I'm at unless I, like I said, I'm so consistent in all my daily habits. Like your habits, your habits is what make me, my habits are what make me confident. Knowing, knowing I stuck to my diet, knowing I drink enough water, I'm properly hydrated. When you do that for weeks and months and months, and then your training is consistent along with it, that gives me confidence because I know I'm right where I need to be and I'm doing everything I possibly can. And then I go to the meet without any doubt. Even if my prep hasn't gone great, I know I did everything I possibly could. And that's the that's the sweetest satisfaction you could get is knowing that you put your all into it. You, know? you, could, you could be at peace with whatever's about to happen. Yeah. Even if I have a shitty day, I'm like, there's nothing I could have changed because I did everything that I could. You know? Yeah. It's, it's better to have a shitty day like that than to have regret. And And whoever might like, let's say someone does see you at a party having some drinks. It's like, listen when you do three months of everything you've done, it's like you, you might see the one night, but you exactly. miss the You're fucking gonna... 90 nights of like everything you just said. And some yeah. people think they take the one night and they think that's the lifestyle you can live. And that's still... a daily, 
Nah, my man. Like, like it's like he can get away with this because that's a trait. You know what I mean? Like he gets certain people can get away with certain things here and there. That's life. But you have no idea what they do the day to day, day in, day out, all day. Like that trumps it sets them up so they can every now and then. You know what I mean? It's um Yeah, it's a little reward. It's like, you know, I paid my dues for a few months, like or just, you know, once or twice a week I'll have a meal that's like a burger and fries or pizza, you know. But I'm like 85, 90%, you know, solid diet. Like I, people will see me eat a burger and I might post on Instagram and people might think, Oh, that's all he eats. I'm like, no, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, you I, always post a lot of times and I'm guilty of this. I'm trying to be better, but you always want to post the highlights of everything in life, right. On social media, you don't want to post about a boring because nobody what's exciting about a normal ass day. Right. Oh, you know, I eat egg whites and oatmeal for breakfast. Oh, okay, whatever. That's not exciting. But oh, I eat a burger and fries, and it's slathered in this amazing sauce. Oh, wow, that's I yeah. Everyone's right liking now, the know? shit like, out of that, dude. Yeah, dude, you eat like five thousand calories worth that clean. That would be so much food. It's insane. It's easy to yeah. eat. It's easier to eat a lot of calories when it's dirty. When it's like pizza. Exactly. But, that's why I tell people is like people. People tell me they have a huge appetite, right? And I see what they eat. I'm like, of course. I mean, if I ate McDonald's and God knows what, I could totally smoke six, seven, eight thousand calories. But yeah. your digestion is going to be shit, and you're not going to be. It's obviously not going to be healthy for you. But eating like things such as beef, chicken, fish, rice, potatoes, pasta. I mean, I only eat pasta seldomly because white rice is the best for me in terms of absorption and digestion. Like white rice within an hour. I eat between two and three cups a meal every time with beef or chicken. I could eat a huge, I eat eight to 10 ounces of beef with two, two to three cups of rice, depending on the time of day. And within an hour, I feel not hungry, but I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm not full, you know? Cause if I didn't eat predominantly rice, if I, pasta is good, but with the starches and stuff, I notice it's just harder. I, I'll eat pasta end of the day, like your last meal. So then it carries me through the night. But yeah, like I've learned through trial and error what works like what and potatoes as well is also great. But once again, potatoes and pasta, I would do later in the day. My first few meals, I always do it with rice as a carb source for that reason. And do you ever get sick of eating the same thing over and over? Or is it just like it's part of your routine now? I mean, it's yeah. routine, but I've nor I, I put a I either put a regular pink Himalayan salt and then I have these spices. I forgot what brand they are, but I got them from a supplement store and I've been getting them ever since. They come in different types of flavors, like, uh, you know, lemon pepper. Uh, there's a pizza. Like, there's a bunch of different flavorings, and they don't really have much calories to them. But mm. it just mixes up the monotony. Because for years, I would do salt and pepper, of course, because I'm, you know, I'm white Caucasian male. But like, yeah. I've never Mil- been Military spices. man. <laughs> yeah. Never been into that many spices till recently. Because once I got in a rut, I was like, dude, how am I going to keep up with this? And that's when I started figuring out, okay, there's different seasonings I could use. Because that way it mixes it up and you still, it obviously still tastes the same, but it's just got a different kick to it, whether it's spicy, tangy, you know, whatever kind of seasoning you have. So that's probably the biggest thing that's been helpful is just having a decent seasoning to help make it not as bad. I hear you, buddy. Well, listen, man, I appreciate your time, man. We have floated like, I don't know, we're like 90 minutes to 100 minutes now. Oh, my God. It's already been that. Wow. Dog, we we, we just crushed it. This is exactly... This is the type of podcast I like, though, where it's not a yeah. question and answer. We just hop on here and flow. 
and, and we just we just rock and roll with wherever the discussion goes naturally. Um, that's the yeah. type of podcast I like, my man. You're easy to talk to. But uh, listen, good luck with training. Keep in touch. Obviously, I'm going to keep reposting oh, yeah. you. And After got- the meeting, we'll definitely keep in touch. <laughs> but yeah, let's do it again, man. We'll do it again. Yeah. So um, anyways, uh, if anybody needs to follow you or anything, if they want to follow you or possibly keep an eye out, if you're going to be dropping any templates or anything, how, where should they be reaching you on Instagram? Yeah. So on Instagram, my, my handle is Dan underscore Griggs, just capital D capital G Dan underscore Griggs. And that's, like I said, I might get a TikTok in the future, but I'll make it the same exact username just so it's simplified. Yeah. Cause I think TikTok is definitely something that could be fun. Just to connect with more people. But for right now, it's just Instagram that where's the main, where I post most of my stuff. There it is, man. Appreciate your time, buddy. We'll keep in touch. Have a good one. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. We're out.